Welcome to a special edition of the Portically Yours podcast. I'm Yvonne Booz. For the past few years, this segment has showcased poems from Northern Illinois writers and a few from other states. Portically Yours has given you glances of the poets, but it doesn't allow you to hear the depth of these artists. This special segment will do just that. It will serve as a backdrop for this weekly series. This month's featured poet is Karen Flitt Christensen. Karen is Aurora, Illinois' first poet laureate. I met Karen through a mutual friend about 10 years ago, and together we started a poetry group. During this conversation, I learned how that meeting almost didn't happen. Well, I've had a couple of experiences in my life, and you are one of them. When I went ahead and met the person, and it turned out to be a life-changing experience for me. I learned a few other things about her that day. Take a listen. I started writing when I was probably a freshman in high school. Um, I had a really good English teacher who was very encouraging to me. And it wasn't something that was a class assignment, but I had started um, sitting in my closet at night because I shared a bedroom with two sisters and it was a really small bedroom. I had no privacy ever. And so I would go into the closet and turn on the light and be all cramped up and crouched. And then in the morning when I was going to school, I would ask, his name was Mr. Vespo. I would ask him if he would look at my poetry and he did. And he, again, he was very, very encouraging. And, and what then happened, um, I was in high school from 1964 to 1968. And that was the time period when the great folk music revival was going on. And just like many of my friends, I bought an acoustic guitar and started trying to write songs and lyrics. And we would get together and he, I, I'm laughing as I'm remembering this. We would sit around and have our little song fests, whatever, in somebody's um, basement. And what I found was that my music was pretty trite. It wasn't particularly original and I'm not a good guitarist, but my lyrics were pretty good. And that's what kind of, uh, I got a good response from my friends to the words that I was writing. And so I just kept writing and I just kept writing and I just kept writing. I continued that all through high school. I wrote a little bit in college. I never have taken a creative writing class. Um, and the only poetry class I ever took was for a couple of sessions in a non-credit class at Wabansi, uh, probably about 15 years ago. And I went to the class, the teacher was very good, but she kept emphasizing, I need to help you find your voice. And I thought to myself, I think I already have a voice. I think what I need is discipline. And I was going through a rough patch. This was in probably around 2009. And I was just going through a rough patch at my boss, with my boss and with my job. I didn't particularly care for either one at the time. And I decided that if I sat down and wrote every day, that that would be good therapy for me. And so I did. So about three, for about three years, so from 2009 till 2012, when I actually retired, I got up every morning, Monday through Friday at 530 in the morning, and I wrote. And then on the weekends, I would edit what I had written. And it became extremely therapeutic for me. I was not writing about work or my job or anything like that. I was just writing about whatever came to me. And it just, it got me into a rhythm. It just got me into a rhythm, which has continued um, to this day. 
All right. Now tell me about the guitar. Did you ever get more into learning how to play or did you put that down at that time? No, no, no. I continued to play guitar. I mean, I'm, this is a very kind of humorous story. Actually, um, I have I have a sister who's two years younger than I am. So we would have been 15 and 16 or 17 years old. And we took lessons together. Um, I actually wrote a song while we were taking lessons and my guitar teacher sent it off to the Library of Congress. So it could be uh, the copyright could be registered. I was really excited about that. In those days, it only cost three dollars to register a copyright. It's a lot more now. But anyway, and my sister and I actually performed as a duo for 15 bucks or $20 a crack. <laughs> I mean, we never played any place that you would know about, but my guitar teacher did get us these gigs to play for various events. Um, I have kind of a funny story about that. My dad was the, uh, financial officer for a small manufacturing company in Chicago and the company they made leather jackets and the factory was filled with eastern european immigrants and it had been started by two russian jewish families which is what my family was and so everybody in the in the office and in the factory were 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 jewish people and my dad asked me if I would play guitar for their holiday party. I must have been already a freshman in college. And I loved James Taylor and I loved the song Fire and Rain. So I'm singing the line, won't you look down upon me, Jesus? And I thought everybody in the room was going to have a heart attack. They were so upset because these were not only older people, but very orthodox people. And I hadn't thought ahead of time you know, that anybody would find a problem with that. And I'm Jewish, so whatever. But anyway, my dad gave me a talking to about being a little more sensitive to your audience. Was so that, that last performance? Well, yeah, that was my, well, that was probably my last performance. With the guitar. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did continue to play guitar when I was in college. Um, And we would sit around, you know, in the dorm and just, play guitar and my friends were very supportive but I was a terrible guitarist because I wasn't able to do anything more than just play chords I mean I never got into the real fancy stuff and um yeah no <laughs> <laughs> now Karen I want to talk about you you talked about starting um writing poetry in high school and then you skipped up to 2009 and you said you were writing um, every day and how that helped kind of help you get through things. What happened in between that time? Oh, I had kids and I got married and divorced a couple of times and I moved around quite a bit and I changed jobs a couple of times and just the day-to-day -day things that um, take up your time when you're a younger person. I did write um, every time in my life during that period, probably from the time I was about Oh, say 35 to 45. Whenever I was going through something difficult, I wrote. And um, I have a collection of poems that I wrote actually when I was going through both my first and my second divorces. And I have shared those both with friends who are going through divorce. Um, and I've gotten a positive response. I think it, it's like anything else. If you write about what you know, you know, you're not fantasizing. You're writing about an experience as you're actually going through the experience and um, that, that just resonates. And, and I think that's one of the things that 
I know you and I have talked about in Atom Poetics, but even when I talk with young writers, that's my biggest piece of advice. Write while you're in the moment of the thing that's happening to you and write about what's happening to you. Why do you think it's so important? I know now that you are writing every day and not only are you writing every day, you are posting it on your Facebook page. And I know that you, I don't know if you're still the Poet Laureate of Aurora. I think the verdict is still out on that. No, I think I am the still okay. the Poet Laureate. Okay, yes. so you're still the Poet Laureate of Aurora. And I know with that, you were writing and posting it on the, what was the name of the Facebook page? The Aurora Poet Laureate Facebook page, which is still up. Okay. Yeah. Now I see that you're posting things on your personal Facebook page. Why is it so important for you to do that and share these writings with your Facebook audience? Well, I, the Aurora Poet Laureate Facebook page was started when I was appointed uh, the Laureate in January of 2020. And my goal with that page was to post the work of local writers. So not just myself, but um, I had a pretty good group, probably between 20 and 25 people that were regularly sending me work. I stopped doing that when I was um, thinking that I was hoping the city would pass the Laureate crown to another person and specifically to a younger person. And so I thought, but I don't wanna give up posting poetry. And I turned my own Facebook page into a public page instead of a private one so that what I was posting could be shared. And I felt that because it was my own page, I could be a little bit uh, less cautious about what I was posting um, because it wasn't a City of Aurora page. And I started going back. In fact, the work that I've been posting most recently is from 2008 and 2009. So I went back to things that I had written, you know, quite some time ago, and I'm just scrolling through everything um, that I've written. I find, I will say, I don't write every day anymore, but I probably write a couple of times a week. Um, I am not as focused on feeling that I have to turn work out, you know, that before it was, again, trying to have this discipline and a, and a habitual um, practice. But I find now um, that I don't need to do that as much, that I can let things roll around in my brain a little bit. Um, and there are fewer things that I'm experiencing that are causing me to have a lot of anxiety. I think that's just a function of getting older. You know, my, my life has slowed down. It, it just has slowed down. And so I'm not in the fray in the way that I was before. The other thing that was happening too in the period prior from about 2008 to 2012, there was so much going on politically in our country. And I was writing a lot about that and not just in our country, but all around the world. But I was particularly drawn to current events at that, that time. And um, I find as I'm getting older, I'm less drawn to what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis and more drawn to the bigger questions of life, which are the things you think about as you get older. Tell me some of those things. Well, some of it is the sadness around the fact that many of my friends have serious illnesses. Um, in my own family and friend circle, I've lost a number of really important people over the last few years. One of my friends actually says that she finds herself writing, sending more sympathy cards and fewer birthday cards. 
And that really resonates with me, but that's the reality. It's just a reality. Um, I have a sister-in-law who is 90 years old and is one of my biggest fans. She was an English teacher and I, I often have her in my mind. She's got some serious health problems. So when I'm writing, I'm, I'm thinking about her. Um, I have children who are in their 40s. I'm thinking about some of the things that they're going through. And I guess in some way, I'm kind of leaving messages for them. I don't think they read my poetry now, even though I send it to them. But I've, I'm thinking about my legacy. I'm thinking about what are the words of wisdom, if you will, that I can leave behind um, for people that are going to be around after I'm gone. That's an interesting take on it um, in regards to writing. Now, Karen, how old are you? I'm 71. I'll be 72 on Dr. Seuss's birthday next year. <laughs> in March. Yeah. All right. So I know that, and, and just to be transparent, I met you through a mutual friend because yeah. I was writing poetry and they said, okay, I think these two should come together. And we met somewhere and um, I think the plan was to have coffee. I don't know if we did that. And we, we, did. we came up with coming up with this group called A-Town Poetics. Um, and it's been around for a while. Tell me, how has A-Town Poetics um, changed or impacted your life? Well, the best part, and by the way, Yvonne, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary next July. So you might want to make a note of that. Well, we, we, we need to have, figure out what to do. We need to do something fun. We do. And, and you brought your book um, to show me. We did have coffee. You brought me your book. I was like so impressed. Um, I was going to blow you off because when friends try to introduce, well, you know how people say, oh, you need to meet this person. Well, I've had a couple of experiences in my life and you are one of them. When I went ahead and met the person and it turned out to be a life-changing experience for me. I really, again, in the interest of full transparency, I consider you a very dear friend and I love the difference in our age. I think that's really, really important for someone my age to stay connected to people who are younger, really. Oh, it's funny to hear that you you, you was going to blow me off. Oh, my goodness. I was. I'm like, yeah, I don't need. Well, you know what my thing is? I don't need any more friends. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you didn't because meeting you and just it got the ball rolling into so many other things. So um, 10 years, well, that's a long time. I, I can't even imagine. Well, and, and so to back to your question about A-Town, what I love about A-Town is um, because it started out with about five or six people and it's gone, it's ebbed and flowed. So we've had as many as 10 people show up and then we've back to five. The Aurora Public Library is hosting us now, um, which means that we can do hybrid, you know, we can do Zoom and in person, which is great for the people that are not comfortable going out at night. That's, that's really good. And as you know, we have a member who lives in some little tiny town outside of Rockford. I'm not even sure where it is, but she's able to join us because she can be on Zoom. But the thing that I really, what I like about A-Town, there's about several things I like. First of all, I love that everybody who comes has a completely different style of poetry. There's very little overlap. We have people who like to rhyme. We have people who like to write free verse. We have people to, who like to write about their own experiences. We have others that I think are writing about more esoteric and spiritual kinds of ideas. 
The other thing um, that I like about a town is that we've gone in and out of providing prompts for each other. You know, for a long time we were doing prompts and then we started trying and experimenting with different forms of poetry. And so those challenges where we're taking on forms of poetry that none of us have ever tried before, like haiku, like haibun, um, like gazals. I mean, there's a whole list of things, none of which I had ever heard of. And we've challenged each other. And I think that is really great because I know what happens to me without that challenge. I basically keep writing the same kind of poem over and over again. I have a particular love for things that are between 12 and 16 lines. I don't like to have uneven lines. That's my OCD showing its, itself. Um, and, and it's pushed me out of my comfort zone. So I, yeah, her, A-Town is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, um, let's go back to, I know we talked about you being the Port Laureate of Aurora. And I remember having a conversation with you when they first announced that they were going to have that position. And that was just not something you thought you wanted to do. Can you tell me right. what changed your mind? Well, I was encouraged by friends to apply. And I actually brought my application in literally five minutes before the deadline. Um, but the, which is not my typical response to anything. I'm usually an overachiever and get things done way ahead of time. But I was reluctant to apply because I didn't really know what the city's plan was for this. There was no budget, there was no staff. It wasn't that I was expecting to get paid, certainly not. But I had hoped that there might be a little bit of a fund so we could go out and do some events. Unfortunately, that never materialized. And the other downside was COVID. So I had written a whole list of things that I thought we could do that wouldn't have cost any money. And I had actually applied for a couple of grants, which I was not successful in uh, receiving. But I had plans to get out, particularly to try to visit with school kids of all different ages, you know, elementary, high school, and even college, so that I could um, talk with them about poetry without necessarily having a workshop, but just to be in a classroom and let people see what somebody who called themselves a poet looked like, you know, that I was a normal human being and not somebody from another planet. Um, and that I was a pretty mainstream kind of person. Um, as I said, sadly, because of COVID, I wasn't able to do very much, but the things that I did do that I was really excited about, number one was that Facebook page and getting all these people to, to share their work with me. And that has been wonderful. I, I told, I've told people when they were reluctant to do that, we had up to 50, 50, between 50 and 100 views on that page every day, which for poetry is astonishing. Um, it really is. Um, we did some readings, A-Town Poetics did some, some readings, you know, we were in, play, in public spaces. If you'll remember, we did a couple of events over First Fridays, where we were in different people's um, businesses. I, I was able to do um, some workshops with the Aurora Public Library for uh, teen poets, but also for third and fourth graders. And that, that one in particular really resonated with me because I had a whole program prepared. And when I got into the library and we started talking, the kids were very, very enthused. 
But the first thing they asked me is if we could do haiku. And I was taken aback, you know, by nine and 10 year olds asking me about haiku. What they had told me was that the teachers in the schools were doing poetry, which was, was quite exciting. We did some things for National Poetry Month, which is in April. Aurora Downtown, which is the property owners organization, um, has very generously supported a project called Poetry in Public Places. And so each April we do a call for work and I expect that that will continue, um, whether I'm the laureate or not, where we have a theme and we ask people to submit their work. We call poets who are in the Fox Valley region. That's where we're, we're asking for people. And we've had really good response to that. And then um, Aurora Downtown has produced little posters, eight and a half by 11 posters that they put in downtown businesses. And that's been wonderful. That's been, that's been a lot of fun. I did probably my most favorite thing, and I'm going to do it again next April. I got an invitation from an eighth grade language arts teacher and the learning resource director at the Fred Rogers Magnet Academy in Aurora to come in and spend a couple of hours with the eighth grade language arts students. That was a total blast. The teacher and the learning resource um, director took the library and turned it into a beat cafe from the 50s. So they put black tablecloths on the tables. They bought the kids black berets. Um, they had little LED candles on each of the tables. And we did a poetry slam. And I talked at the beginning a little bit with the kids about, I wanted to coach them in terms of when they got up to the mic, you know, how to speak slowly, how to articulate what it was that they wanted to say, how to have confidence in what they were doing and not to be shy, how to project their voice. And I was just blown away by the quality of the writing. I mean, these were eighth graders. So they were even a year ahead of when I started writing poetry as a 14 year old, but they were, they had allowed themselves to be vulnerable. They were writing about their families. They were writing about their feelings. I was, I was absolutely walking on cloud nine when I walked out of there. Now, of course, this is poetically yours. So I cannot continue without having you do some poetry for us. Now, I know, Karen, I know you've contributed to Portably Yours, and your poems are genuinely short. So if you want to, can you pick a poem or two just to read it for our audience right now? And I as can. a point, I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, I've booked these interviews and I didn't tell them, be prepared to bring a poem, but then I'm thinking they're poets, they got it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And fortunately, I'm sitting at my computer. So this is an easy thing to do. And I will pull up a couple of things that I've written recently. And I might um, ask you to do it again throughout, you know, before we end this conversation. No, go ahead. That's fine. Okay. So um, this one is called Grown Up Lullaby. And this is longer than 16 lines. So you'll, okay. you'll like this. Okay. Grown Up Lullaby. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Let troubles fly far, far away. Let angels soothe my worried mind. Let bills to pay, rebellious kids, home repairs, dirty dishes, dusty shelves, questions of life's deepest meaning fade into the star bright sky or wherever problems go when they cannot be quickly solved. Let something bigger than myself, something wiser, something stronger with no beginning and no end some higher truth that lends itself to making purpose, 
from apprehension ever present to making sense of everything beyond my puny comprehension lead me to a place of rest. So would you like another one? I want to talk about that one really quick. And and I, sure. I think as, as a poet, and I, I've heard this from other poets say, um, the reason they write is because they know that it's going to resonate with someone else. Mm. And I think just listening to that, I could not have appreciated that poem 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but being older and listening to that, I think we all need that. We need a grown-up yeah. lullaby. So um, tell me with your writing, what motivates you to write? Is it because you want, you're thinking about your listener or is it just, this is what you're feeling at the moment? You know, I'm not sure how, how to answer that question because I don't know where this stuff comes from. This is an extremely um, mystical experience for me. I could be doing something as mundane as mopping my kitchen floor and a line will come to me. I'm not deliberately thinking about anything and a line will come to me. And here's the lesson, which I know I've preached to you and I've preached to others stop what you're doing and go write the poem. And so with the mop in my hand, I will literally sit down and write. I don't know where it comes from. I'm assuming that there's things that are going on, you know, in my brain and they're forcing themselves out. Um, yeah, I don't want to be too bizarre and weird in talking about this, but that's the best way that I can explain this. And what I'm discovering is that I used to think it was about the discipline of writing every day, but I think it's more the discipline about just listening to what's going on in your, in your head. And you have told me that, and I have not listened because I have lines that I've missed and forgotten. I understand why you say write it down because we're going to forget, you know, we're, well, and it's, oh, I and, do. And I'm, I'm fortunate because I'm retired, you know, it's not like I have to stop up the middle of a meeting and say, I'm sorry, staff, I have to go write a poem right now. I'll be back. You know, I can be, I can be standing around, you know, or, you know, the other thing that happens to me and I force myself to do it, I will be having a line. It isn't a dream. I literally will have a line that comes to me while I'm asleep. I now get up I put my glasses on. It might be three o'clock in the morning. I go sit down at my computer and I write the poem. In the past, I would have said, well, I'll remember that. But even if you remember the line, what comes after that first line, you, are, you, you need to be in this zone. I don't know how else to describe it. You need to be where you've, you've stepped outside of your regular consciousness and let whatever this is take over. Yeah, yeah. I said something like, I, I know that poetry often visits me at night. And yes. I'm afraid if I don't listen and get up and write, someone else is going to get that. Now, you remind me of um, Jean Schilbach. She's 102 now. The poet that I interviewed, yes. um, was it for a poetry month back in April, late March? She says that. She says it's, it's, it's a shame. She feels bad if she doesn't get up. If she doesn't get up, like every night she gets up and writes, even if she mm -hmm. doesn't finish the poem, she gets up and writes. So let's take a moment and go ahead and read another poem for us. All right. Well, I'm going to read one that we wrote for um, uh, 
a challenge from A-Town Poetics. So we wrote something that's called a haibun, H-A-I-B-U-N. I think it's a Japanese form. And what, we, what you're supposed to do is combine a prose poem with a haiku. So this one was hard for me because I'm, I'm not a good uh, prose poem person. But anyway, this one is called Season Change. Oh, and by the way, you're supposed to try to have a na nature theme when you write a haibun and also haiku as well. Season change. Leaves resting on the autumn grass curl their edges like blankets against the cooling air, turning ever so slightly, then lying still only to be swept away by brisk, sharp winds. I am reminded that my search for comfort changes with each season's story. What brings me pleasure in this golden light will lose its charm, conquered by my persistent insistence on change, on wondering what might be coming next. And here's the haiku. Gold becomes brown now, signaling soon, frozen light, clouds shift, turning to. Oh, that's so powerful. I love your writing. And I love to hear you read it. And every time I read one of your poems, I hear your voice reading it to me. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to take a moment and talk about um, your family and how they receive your poetry. I know my most of my family could, could, could care less. Um, my brothers could care less and, you know, but you, they support me. They'll buy a book, but they won't read it. And then they'll say, oh, you should write a poem about that. Well, I did. It's in the book. So tell me, what type of support do you get from your family when you're writing? I know you mentioned you write poems for your daughters and they probably aren't reading them now. No. So I get very little support from my family, but anyway, um, yeah, but you know what? Everyone ignores me anyway, most of the time. So my technique is when I reach, um, I think when I reach 36 poems, I do a manuscript, I turn it into a PDF and I email it to my family and I print a copy for my 90 year old sister-in-law. And she is the one that reads every word and then sends comments back with her brother, who is my husband. Why that's particularly funny, my husband is a retired engineer, and he um, struggles with poetry. And what he'll do, he'll, he'll take the manuscript and he'll dog ear pages of poems that resonate with him. And they're the, usually the ones that are the most, um, what I would call about day-to-day -day type of life, nothing that is spiritual or that is, you know, out there. But the thing that makes me laugh, and I love him dearly, he's a sweetheart and he supports me in a lot of ways. He complains about the vocabulary because he tells me that he has to sit with a dictionary <laughs> to read what I'm writing, which I appreciate the, the, the fact that he's willing to stretch himself, you know, and isn't just dismissing um, what I'm writing. And I can't say that we have any conversations about anything that I've written. Um, that I have any conversations with anyone in my family. Now, on the other hand, I do have friends. I have one friend in particular that every time I send him a manuscript, he will call me and tell me which poems he really liked and why he liked them. So I have my sister-in-law and I have this one friend. <laughs> now I relate to the whole dictionary thing because at one point I wouldn't use certain words because I was like, people aren't going to understand. And then all of a sudden I said, who cares? They can look it up. Right. Tell me, tell me why is it important to use a 
different type of vocabulary in your writing or why you think it's important to use a different type of vocabulary or words that people just don't use every day? Well, that that's me. I mean, I, I have been accused of having a really big vocabulary and I'm proud of that. I read constantly and I read books that, that have words in them that I'm not familiar with. And I sit with my phone and I look them up. Or if I'm reading on my Kindle, I have the Oxford you know, English dictionary downloaded on my Kindle and I force myself to learn new words. The reason I like words is the reason I love Shakespeare because the poetry in language is so fantastic, particularly if you get away from the everyday words. It's not like I'm trying to show off. It's not like I'm trying to boast about, you know, how, oh, I have this great vocabulary but there's beauty in these complex words. And I've heard people say, um, and I think this is true. One of the reasons we hear so many people swearing and using the F-bomb, for example, is because their vocabulary is so limited. And if seriously, and if you do research about cursing in prior centuries, the curses are much more interesting. They're not just F this and F that. I mean, there's some really good curses. I would encourage you to do a Google search of cursing from the 17th and 18th century in particular. Um, and even going back to Shakespeare's time to the 15th and 16th century, the curses are wonderful. Um, they're just, they really mean something and they really, uh, they really convey insults and how you feel about what's going on. Um, you know, we live, first of all, English is a very technical language. So it's easy to fall into the trap of not using more than the common everyday speech. But I find, and again, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to in, in, imply that I'm such a smart person. I'm not, I'm just a really well-read person. And I'm not as well-read as I could be, but I am a pretty well-read person, yeah. And I use a thesaurus. I mean, that's one of the things I say to young poets, go through your work. And if you see that you're repeating a word, stop, get out the thesaurus and find another way to say that. That's much like my, um, my job with news writing. You know, we, we, we don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. Um, all right. So do you have something else for me? I want to hear something. I want to hear a love poem in this cold okay. winter climate. <laughs> Let's hear okay. something about let's hear something about love. All right. Well, then I'm going to go back to when I was younger. <laughs> oh, you know what I want to read you? No, what? you know what? I have um I actually am a universal life church ordained minister because I've had people, friends of mine, including my brother, when he got married, I've had friends ask me to um uh, officiate at their weddings. Okay, we're going to stop for a moment because that is something I didn't know about you. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, next time you get married, feel free to call me. <laughs> but I'm looking for, hold on, I'm going to find a couple of poems that I've written for weddings. Hang on. You know, I remember the one about the wedding photographer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. like that right. one. Okay. All right, let me see if I can find this. Okay. And this one is actually, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. All right. This is one that I wrote for my husband. Um, my husband, Larry, and I have been married for almost 24 years. 
and we met when he was uh 60 and i probably was i'm 13 years younger than he so i might have been in my late 40s at the time that we met and i wrote this poem for him and it's called what i wish as we grow old we did not meet when we were young no hot pots sizzling no sparks flying no houses to build no children to raise just time to pass quiet dependence company Familiar footsteps at the door, toolbox stocked with experience, subdued surprise. A road that winds down gentle hills, leafy forests, cleansing breezes, contemplation, not disagreement, nods of ascent of recognition, wonder and appreciation for all fortune, peace and beauty, silent worship, gratitude for connection and for you. That is a way to look at... Um... Just how life changes, Karen. Absolutely. Absolutely. To yeah. think about, okay, we we are at this age where it's maybe wasn't love at first sight. And we don't have the yep. pressures of raising a family and we can just enjoy each other. So that's exactly. what some people have to look forward to. <laughs> yes. And no, we still yes. have to write that poem. What you have to look for, I do. This is what you have to look forward to. So here's another one that I wrote for a wedding ceremony okay. of two younger people. They were not, they had both been um, divorced and they were on their second marriages and they were in their late thirties or early forties. And what I do when I uh, am going to do a ceremony for somebody is I spend a couple of hours with them and just listen. I have some questions that I ask them, but I really want to get to know them. Um, Because usually it isn't people that I know. And I wrote this poem for their ceremony. And it was based on things that they said to me in the course of our conversation. And I think this is good advice, actually, for anybody who's just getting married or even embarking on a, a serious relationship. It's called Errors, Omissions, and Disappointments. I take full responsibility. I expect you'll do the same make penance for overt mistakes and hidden failings. It is enough to rise each day and ask forgiveness, contrition from an open heart, pledge to change, a process surely never ending. What makes sacrifice worth the effort going forward, seeking mercy, do what we can, then do it again. Hmm. If people were to think like that, probably marriages will last longer and relationships will last longer. <laughs> well, and you know, we're all so idealistic. Even I, who've been married three times, every time I got married, of course, I was not expecting to get divorced. And I think that's true of everything, every journey that we embark on in our lives. You know, you're hoping for the best, right? I mean, I think human beings are generally hardwired to there's a Buddhist saying, which I love, fall down seven times and get up eight. And I think that describes what we're, what we're hardwired to do. Even if we don't necessarily have a spiritual practice, I think we fail, we get up, we fail, we get up. Um, And the most interesting thing in life as you get older is your ability to look back and see where you have failed and then where you've picked yourself up. I think Everyone who is honest about himself or herself sees that that's what the journey of life is. So to have, to be able to write, which I consider it a gift, 
I, to me, this is a gift that can't, comes from God. I, I feel very strongly about that. The ability to put things down on paper that resonate with other people is so powerful. What I get back is way more than what I'm giving. Mm, that is powerful what you just said. But I want to stop and talk about this being an ordained minister because we skipped through oh, that. Yeah. When and why? When did that did happen okay. and why? Because, okay, so my brother and his partner, they're now, they just turned 65. They met in college when they were at University of Illinois. So they met when they were 19 or 20. And they were together forever. I mean, they've only been married five years, I think. So they decided, and my both of them are engineers. I come from a family of engineers. I'm the only non-science non person in my family, which is probably why no one reads my poetry in my family, because <laughs> they're all scientists. But anyway, um, they surprised, we, uh, the big family conversation for all these years was why did Ken and Ann not get married? And we had all kinds of uh, gossip and rumors and speculation. Anyway, this surprised all of us five years ago by announcing that they were going to get married. And neither one of them is involved with a synagogue or a church. And they said, would you be willing to do the ceremony? Because we all knew that you can go through this universal life church, which I think is in California, and you, you, you can be ordained. You don't have to go to school. Um, you just, you read this little book about how to do a wedding ceremony and I said, oh, I would love to do this. This would be so cool. And it turns out in, in Illinois that you don't have to be a clergy person, an official clergy person, like a minister, pastor, whatever. You don't have to do that in order to officiate at a ceremony. And you can sign the marriage license and it's a valid license and the ceremony is accepted and valid. And so I did it for my brother and sister-in-law, which was so much fun. And then I've had a couple of friends whose kids have been getting married who don't have a connection to any faith community. And so they've asked me to do that. Uh, and it's, oh, it's the best. It's so much fun. It really is. Particularly because I'm a very nosy person. So what I love the best is sitting down for a couple of hours and getting to know these people that I did not know and asking them all kinds of really personal questions so that I could write a ceremony that would be meaningful to them. And do you come up with these questions? Oh, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> oh, I am so excited to learn that about you. Yes. Now, Karen, once the appointment for Port Laureate ends, what are you going to do just to make sure that you're still in the public eye with your poetry? Well, I'll keep I'll keep doing Facebook until I get thrown off Facebook. I will continue to stay involved with A-Town Poetics, even if I don't have the official title of laureate, title of laureate you know, any uh, teacher that reaches out to me and asks me to come in and talk to kids or any librarian who asks me to talk, I will be delighted to do that. Um, in fact, I, one more story about kids. During COVID, my, my granddaughter, who was in second grade at the time, moved in with my husband and I so that we could do school with her, Zoom school, because my daughter is a single mom and she works. And so Deborah was here and she happened to mention to her teacher that her grandma was the poet laureate of Aurora. And her teacher called me and said, would you be willing to do a Zoom um, 
afternoon with the with the second graders and I'm like oh for sure that was so much fun my granddaughter was thoroughly embarrassed I mean I think she was just hiding her head in shame so I did some things with the kids and then we had a question and answer period and one of the kids said to me okay his question was what does it feel like when you write poetry I was blown. I mean, this is an eight-year-old child. I was blown away by that question. Of course, because it is my nature to go on and on and on. You know, I got into this whole thing about this mystical journey and so on. I'm sure the kids thought I was a complete crazy woman. But that question has stayed with me. And the fact that it, it, it came from someone who was so young and also so unselfconscious, um, so willing to put himself out there. So any opportunity that I have to interact with young poets, I would be delighted to do. All right, Karen, we're going to wrap it up. Is there anything else you would like to share about your life that we don't know about? I'm thinking about some things at NIU, that, which is my alma mater, that I probably don't want to share with the public. But anyway... <laughs> But I do have very fond memories of the NIU campus and uh, doing some things because it was the 60s that were probably a little bit out there. I had a lot of friends that were art students, so we really got involved in body painting and some other things um, that probably would not be acceptable now. So I'm glad to have, have been come of age at the time that I did. Um, I I just am, I want to express my thanks to you, Yvonne, for Poetically Yours and to WNIJ, seriously, because you are making a huge difference well, in terms you. of, you really are, in terms of bringing um, the artistic abilities of so many gifted, gifted people. And I think you're also showing people that you don't need to be intimidated by poetry. So hooray for what you do. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. And can you tell our listeners um, your your Facebook page where you're posting every day now? Yes, I can. So um, it's Karen Fullett, F-U-L-L-E-T-T hyphen Christensen, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N. Well, thank you. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for doing this. No problem. I hope you learned a lot about Karen Flick Christensen. I know I certainly did. You can hear more poetry from Karen and others by listening to Poetically Yours every Friday at 1231 and 6.18 p.m. on 89.5 WNIJ and at 3.59 p.m. on 90.5 WNIU. Visit WNIJ.org to hear upcoming extended Poetically Yours podcasts or spend time listening to poems you may have missed. Special thanks to the Nick Monte Trio Band for providing the theme music for this podcast. For Poetically Yours, I'm Yvonne Booz.